Welcome again to the Voxhammer Podcast, where we talk things Warhammer and the hobby space. Today, I'm once again joined with my wonderful co-host, Matthew, otherwise known as the Miniature Apothecary. And we have a special guest today, MP Swift, to talk to us about today's subject, the lore. MP Swift, thanks for joining us today, buddy. Thank you very much for having me, guys. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, man. You know, okay. Um, one thing's funny is that they're both named Matt. And it's like, wait a minute, you're Matt, you're Matt, and I know another Matt? Is there any other Matts I need to know about? I'm Matt! Oh my god, everyone's Matt. Everyone's Matt. Oh my goodness. So, we can't um, go into too much detail, but there is a conspiracy here, isn't yeah, there, Matt? This... Absolutely. Yeah, we can't, we can't go into detail outside the Council of Matts, but, you know. Oh my god. I'm terrified. Mm. The take over the world. Okay, Why so not? can you imagine, like, <laughs> oh, my God. oh, you know something, like, whenever today, I'm looking forward to today, but, like, today is, like, a behemoth, because lore, like, when you say lore, like, when it comes to Warhammer 40k, or Warhammer, any subject could be a behemoth subject, but the lore is just another beast entirely, it's so, like, I, think, I think when you first mentioned this, it was, like, my, my first thought was, which bit? Where do we start? I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> we ran into walls instantly. <laughs> oh my yeah, god. The 30 plus years of collaborative storytelling from dozens of people all pouring their kind of heart and soul into different aspects of it. Like, it is. Yeah. So much of yeah. a behemoth, we had to bring in backup. Hence, MP Swift, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. For sure. Like, this... Uh, because we can make an entire episode out of any singular point in in the lore, you know? And they're like, so so what are we going to talk about? It's like, oh, no, we're going to just, we're just going to talk about it, like, in general, you know? Talk about, um, like, you know what? You guys will figure it out, okay? <laughs> oh, I feel like we need, uh, we need, like, a dartboard. Like a dartboard? <laughs> written on, on it and just, just literally every week just throw a dart and that's oh, what Horus Heresy, yeah. freaking um, Great Crusade, just God Blight. Let's yeah, see, anything. Unification <laughs> Wars. Just throw it up yeah. there on the dartboard. Oh man, because I mean, I'm I'm still playing catch up. Like the the all, all the the stories and the lore and everything else is kind of taking it taking a back back seat for me a little bit. Because I've been focusing so much on like the painting and conversions and bit smashing and things like that. I think everyone, to some extent, is playing catch. Yeah, it's just the the most some of the most recent stuff as well. I mean, it's one of the reasons why I thought of you, um, Swifty, straight away was like I'm so behind. Like, there's whole sections of it that I have absolutely I, I'm as blind as a bat on. Yeah, I mean the the pace of release as well is I think stumped. Even like I, I, I'm struggling to keep up with it myself. Like the, oh, the, late, uh, the, the three, the three novels, the linked novels, the, the Godlight based ones. Um, I, I'm still behind on those and catching up on those. Yeah, Dark Imperium. Um, I need to catch the first one. Yeah, the Dark Imperium ones. Um, so I've, I've just started reading up on the the Indomitus Crusade books. Yeah, um, yeah. So they're 
really good so far really enjoying it but yeah it's, it's just a whole new world right like for 20 30 years we've been sitting in this universe that's always been at that point of like one minute to midnight and now the clock has ticked over and everything has just gone completely nuts yeah right uh, yeah. yeah definitely it was I like that's something I, I, I bring up on a regular basis whenever anyone talks to me about like Lawrence, especially like the like 13th Black Crusade, it's like, ah, uh, when I show my age, it's like, I remember when we had the Eye of Terror campaign and, and, and we've kind of been sat there ever since. And, and then well, exactly. that, that was like the terminus point of all of the lore up till yeah. um, 8th edition. Um, like, that was where it ended. Um, so you had all of the different events ha happening in that last kind of hundred years of uh, of M forty one. So you have like Badab, then leading into kind of the Carcharodons and their kind of sacking of, of various planets, and then you go all the way up into uh, the Third War for Armageddon, and then into the Thirteenth Black Crusade, and and what happens obviously with Cadia, and then in the space of kind of the last five years I think it was the 2016 I think uh, Dark Imperium the 8th edition star set came out mm. in those in those five years so much has been added to it um, yeah on, on both sides of the rift um, and you effectively have these almost two kind of split settings between the two and like, the, the Dark Imperium the, the uh, Imperium Noctus just being kind of in full apocalyptic survival mode uh, and Imperium Sanctus only just about holding itself together, and then you got the kind of the key points. Um, so the, the Vigilus campaign kind of fleshed out around the Nachman Gauntlet, and these very rare and precious stable points between the two. Um, but it, it's added so much kind of potential depth and, and richness to an already immense setting. Insane. Um, and completely opened up the stories they can tell. And, um, it's, it's always been a, a setting that's been laced with with tragedy, right? Like mm -hmm. heroes die, people don't fulfil their destinies, uh, individual people are meaningless, essentially. And now you've got an entire half of the Imperium where that's that's kind of the best case scenario, and it's only getting worse for them. <laughs> yeah, someone someone sued, someone just took a pair of scissors, went snip snip snip, and then left it and just walked away. Basically, yeah. He was like, oh, great. It's I mean, it's so crazy. The one, the one thing like you've you've just mentioned about the um, like vigilus um, and these precious these key points along the Great Rift. Me personally, I want to hear more about that because there's like three chapters in the new Codex and they're wardens of these particular routes through the Rift between like the Imperial um, Imperium Nihilus and and what you know the the other side which is just holding on. I want to hear about that. Like, I want to hear more about, like, what happens in those routes, because that sounds awesome to me. Like, I was one that I, I was one of those that sat on the edge of my seat reading through the uh, the Fall Acadia uh, campaign books and stuff like, this is awesome. I want to hear about these ri these, these, these passageways through the rift, because that sounds awesome to me. I don't know why. Just, they, like, they kind of have like, self-defining flashpoints, right? Yeah. Like, you, you know that something is going to happen there because they become these pivotal points where things have to happen. Mm. Um, like Chaos are going to be targeting them. They're going to be rich with um, resources and trade. You could introduce rogue traders going through them to go and explore Imperium Noctis. Yeah. And like rogue traders coming back or 
100%. even or, or or something else entirely. Something like something comes back that wasn't what left. Um, like there's so much you could do with that, and so many kind of stories you could weave into these kind of fixed points in space. Um, that they become by their nature interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Man, there is. Is, uh, no, you keep going. (laughs) No, go on, dude. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I'll make it quick. I think what's so insane is that there is like this hard stop in the story for the longest time. It kind of didn't go anywhere. It was kind of like just this place, and Warhammer was going on, and and it kind of stopped. All the Primarchs were lost or dead or or in the Eye of Terror being a demon Primarch and all that jazz. You know, we never knew what was going to happen. It kind of was this stagnant place. And then all of a sudden, Kadia blew up and um, Rabute Gilliman just woke up and everything started moving. Like, I wonder who it was that finally um, moved the rock right over and said, <laughs> all right, let's, this is where we were. Let's keep going with this. Like, I wonder how they even, how they were even convinced to just continue the story like that. It's crazy how much it moved since then. Absolutely, yeah. And it, it's also freed them up a lot, I think, from a narrative perspective. I think the, the designers and the writers have now got a lot more freedom to to create new lore. Um, in the same way as, as AOS has, has done for fantasy, when you fundamentally change something on that scale and break the stagnancy, all of a sudden, anything is possible, right? They can create new, new marine chapters, new guard armies can be raised, um, all of the kind of the cornerstones of the last 20 years aren't now the only things propping up the setting. So you, you've got that flexibility and that freedom to to create the new, which I think is really exciting. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously run, runs into the issue we've, we've been talking about already around kind of trying to keep up with the flow of it. but it's so much more interesting to have those new options available than to just keep retreading old ground. Like, we, all of us that have been in the hobby for any length of time can tell you, you know, most of the major events of of the past of 40k. Um, yeah. But now we're being introduced to these things that are brand new. Uh, the, the Death of the Indomitus Crusade, the Dark Imperium and Goblite books, and uh, like, as you say, the Demon Primarchs are back now, and there's hints around uh, potentially Angron making an appearance fairly soon. Oh like, my god, man. Like, like, <laughs> we've waited. Like the angriest of angry boys, come on. Oh my god, yeah. I could just only imagine what it's like for lore fans out there who have waited so long for the setting to get moving again. Like, it's what people wanted. I mean, that's what I was, I was just moved going, uh, building on what, what Swifty was saying about, like, um, it's almost like a whole new, a whole new story. Mm-hmm. We're starting to see like the development of new characters. Like we've, any, anyone who's been in the hobby for any amount of time, they'll know certain characters and they've sort of grown up with these characters and their stories. But we're slowly starting to see the development of newer characters, whether it's a new space marine or a new like an imperial guard officer or something within within the faction we're seeing these these new and interesting characters being introduced into it as well which is exciting to see because you want to know what that character's going to do next you know what yeah. what's what what diabolical plan have they got up their sleeve or um you know what heroic act are they gonna um are they going to achieve yeah I mean, we sad to see 
because it's it's bound to happen. We're we're bound to ha- lose some of these characters, oh. um, just like we did in Warhammer Fantasy. But we, you know, you'll always have them. You'll always have those novels. You'll always have those those memories or the model itself. But I'm interested to see like what new characters come out of this whole new Imperium, this whole new um, grim dark setting. Yeah, and you know what's crazy? Like the lore. Okay, so what are the selling points which have gotten people into the hobby? We have just the miniature painting part of it, of course, and the gameplay part of it. But the lore has carried a lot of weight of bringing people in. Like it's like just the other end of the coin of um, fans of Warhammer Forty Thousand. The lore, the lore, the story, everything going on. It's pulled so much weight because of how insane it is, and I think. Um, and I think the boys in Black Library and GW have really, really started to discover how big um, the lore is and how much we love it and how good it is. You know, there's a lot going on. They're they're giving the IP out to a bunch of game studios, you know, signing different contracts. I mean, we know about that they want to they want to make their own stories and animations, and everything, their own service with the streaming service. And, you know, there's there's the Eisenhorn series that I'm pretty sure Henry Cavill is a part of. At this point, like he's been, yo, he's been dropping hints on his Instagram. If you check his Instagram, I think every I, other I, I post that is wishful thinking. I every think that's wishful thinking. No, oh god, no. You watch, you mark my words. If he doesn't come out of it, that's that's fine and cool, cool. But he's doing something because he's been dropping Warhammer 40k Easter eggs and a lot of his Instagram posts. He had the custody shirt. He was reading Penitent and another one. You know, like straight up, he's up to something, man. He's doing something in filming Warhammer 40. He's also just a massive nerd, which I absolutely love and completely unashamed about it, right? Like, yeah, I don't don't know how you guys found kind of growing up with the hobby and all the rest of it, but there is the there's the inevitable kind of bullying and stuff that happens when you're a kid, like getting called nerds and geeks and all the rest of it, and getting picked on for playing with toy soldiers, basically. And it's just become this thing that I know we're getting slightly off topic, so I'll make it short. But like, it's it's now become something that's not necessarily celebrated, but it's accepted. It's got so much more mainstream clout than it ever used to, and that's really nice to see. And I think a large part of what's now getting people into the hobby and staying in the hobby, uh, to bring it around to the topic, is that lore. You know what's um, so funny, Swifty? Um, the cool kids at my school who would make fun of me for like doing nerdy shit, if I, if I said, oh, this is like a tabletop game where you paint these models and you play them with dice, they'll be like, introducing people to the game, and they're like, haha, you're a nerd, blah, 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 that's dorky. But then when you introduce them to the lore, every single time they're like, yo, that shit is dope. <laughs> every yeah. fucking time. Every time they're like, yo, that's dope. So you, uh, say, that's, you say that's off topic, but is it oh, really? I mean, no obviously, way. From, personally, from, from uh, my standpoint, I've known at least half a dozen people that got into the hobby through the lore through those stories, through whether it's, uh, you know, the Horus Heresy or Cyphus Kane or Kant's Ghost. Or, Capias. You know, <laughs> one, one of the big, one of the, one of the, you know, one of the, the many story arcs. And it was used as a way of, you know, it was an escapism. Yeah. You know, yeah, you, yeah. you think what you're saying, Swifty, about like bullying and stuff. There was there was at least three kids at my school. They didn't play the game, but they definitely read the books because it was it helped them to to get away from 
that environment from that negative um those negative feelings and stuff yeah being pushed on them and so it's not really off topic if you think about it you know the the it's just so amazing to me how the same people who'd be like oh that's nerdy anime is nerdy this is nerdy that's nerdy and would just just dog on anything of someone enjoying any hobby but those same people whenever i describe what like sometimes sometimes it happened to where the initial um expectation was just to punk me for it like what you're looking at what you're reading and then i would describe it and it just it just goes completely left and they're like oh that's dope <laughs> and then i would just continue talking about it. like whether you like warhammer 40k or hate warhammer 40k like whether you're into it or not it's unanimously agreed that the lore is fucking dope yeah. Okay, so I've, yeah. I have a question then for, for both of you two. And I'm, I kind of think I know where one of you is going to go with this, but I'm, I'm going to ask Wink, anyways. wink. <laughs> so I'm going to ask, favorite bit of 40k law? Oh, man. Honestly. You ask most, you ask most people that, and it's it's very obvious where they go with it. You know, it's like it, it'll it'll be something. Horus Heresy is a big one, no doubt. People jump straight to the Horus Heresy. Well, no, I or... mean in the sense of like it's very faction. Sometimes it's very, most of the time, in fact, it's very faction orientated. So I'm curious as to to what you know what you two feel is for you is your personally is your favorite bit of law. That's a good question. A really good question, yeah. I want um, I want Matthew to go. I want Swifty to go first. <laughs> like to give yourself some more thinking time. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think my favourite bit of the law that I, I I also feel kind of gets lost a bit in the setting mm. is the kind of inherent tragedy of a space marine. So, space marines are seen in throughout the Imperium as being these kind of noble angelic warriors and very much the the kind of the shining light of the Emperor in, in an otherwise darkening galaxy. But Space Marines aren't really aspirational figures. And I like the darkness that's kind of inherent within them. Like these are hypo indoctrinated child soldiers fundamentally. Yeah. Um, and they're sent out into an uncaring galaxy to go and kind of try and protect this humanity that they themselves don't really have anymore. And they are kind of so far removed from the people that they are protecting that they're basically a new species. Um, And that kind of, that depth and darkness of what makes a space marine who they are and and how they then fit into the wider Imperium and and into the the kind of mythos of that. Yeah, dude. It's really interesting. uh, Um, So you're so right about that. I love that bit. that That was deep. I like that, yeah. That's kind of the uh, that's kind of the answer I expected from you, Swifty. To be honest, I'm like yeah, like in Godblade, there's a bit where they are seen by a village. No spoilers. Yeah, no spoilers. And <laughs> they and uh, well, all I'm gonna say is that it was a secret mission. Mission. So there was a lot mm. of conflict going on there, but mm. it was um, but it's just so it just really shows like it it puts a lot of real questions that a space marine would at some point have to ask and answer. And and there was little time to think about it, you know? And it's just amazing because it, there are some space marines who look at people, they're like, I just don't understand them. I don't understand how this happens. 
And then there is space marines who are who understand who they are, but they're very protective of humans anyways. And then you have chapters who have been granted um, visitation and access to their families throughout their their gene process throughout that entire thing. You know, because that, that goes on throughout an adolescent space marine's like life until they're older, like going through all the gene gene splicing and becoming a space marine. Like the salamanders yeah. have that, which I think is really yeah. cool. I, I like that about that. I must admit that salamanders are definitely, are definitely one of those chapters that because they try and keep hold of that humanity in a in a way, don't they? Yeah, and uh, I, that's very. It's definitely an appealing, uh, an appealing part of the chapter. Go because on, then, Sean. You're, you're gonna uh, outlive your family straight up. If you don't yeah. die, you are outliving your whole close family. And I think it's a, and it's not a lot of time, especially for a space marine. Like we talk about how life is fleeting, but for a space marine man, like that's the least, you know, you can do. And it's, and I really like that that Vulcan has that be a thing, you know, like the people Nocturne really um, still have that visitation. So I guess around what uh, Swifty was talking about, that part is kind of my favorite bit of space marine um, lore when space marines are struggling with that humanity inside them and all of that and you know they find and they kind of discover these old emotions that only humans have you know like love compassion sympathy it's it's very new to space marines and some of them end up discovering it some don't either way it's always interesting and so for my favorite part i guess of the lore i'm thinking like where we're at right now like in the current setting, because now we're about to go to the Octarius War, and that's going to be fun as an orc lover. But I'm really loving the where the story is right now and where it's going with Rebute and with the Emperor and and you know the potential of maybe even more Primarchs coming forward. I know with like for me myself with Sanguinius because of his situation, it's like there's just that confliction of we want him back but we don't want him back. And I'm like, okay. It's not coming back. <laughs> it's like, it's like for me, I think the happy medium is I would want Sanguinius to have a presence back, but not like full 100%, full body, blah, blah, blah. Like, I feel like someone would have a shard and can communicate with Sanguinius, like something like that, because his sacrifice is one of the most amazing things in the lore. And that needs to matter and it needs to count. So I feel like if he ever came back, He'd only be able to be summoned for like maybe a couple of minutes or whatever, like any summon, and then dissipates. Otherwise, the only way you have access to him is just chatting with him through a shard or something. That's how I do with Sanguinius if he were to ever return in any fashion. Like, I couldn't accept him coming back fully because it would take away from his sacrifice to Horus and everything the Blood Angels are going through with their Black Rage. But for me, that's how I would have that happen. But yeah, that's that's my favorite area. When it comes to the lore, the modern, where we are, like the latest stuff in the lore, in the story. That's definitely mm-hmm. my favorite aspect, you know. But I guess in a more general sense, orc lore. I love orc lore. It's also a lot of fun. And I think what I'm liking is like, the, kill t- the Kill Team cinematic did it really well. Yep. And it kind of reestablishes just how terrifying orcs should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like they're quite often used as a bit of a comedic stick, particularly in the video game mediums. Um, Space Marine did it well. Space Marine kind of made them feel quite dangerous, but like the cutscenes in Dawn of War, they're always quite kind of comical. Yeah, basically, they're, they're, they lack that kind of 
uh, fear factor. Um, a little more romanticized in the combat. Like they're literally at both ends of a of a field, and they run at each other, and then just chaos. Yeah, yeah, pretty simple. Um, but the, the that cinematic just completely cemented how terrifying these things would actually be to fight, mm-hmm. and that was very easy to get a kind of a more. Um, genuine representation of them in combat that was cool i enjoyed that donald war 3 a cinematic trailer did a good job with that too the orcs were like That's pretty fair. big like they one yeah. ripped a space marine's arm clean off and yeah i mean the the new codex definitely gives them that clout as well which is good so the, the narrative and does now transfer into the uh into the tabletop a bit more now um, i'm excited about that yeah, and there should also be like there's always like new lore in the codexes, right? So um, be interesting to have a read of the front end of that and and see what new stuff they've dropped in there. Um, I ended up bringing because I ended up buying like um, my pre-orders. I bought the um, combat patrol of the new orcs. I got the beast snagger boss. I got beast snagger boys, not the squig riders, but the ones like the regular beast snagger boys. And I got an orc codex and some dice. And by the way, I am never paying $35 for another pair of dice again. The only reason I did that was because it was orc dice. That's it. God, they know it. They know what they're doing. <laughs> they got me. <laughs> Can't get it anywhere else. Uh, so so anyways. Um, but yeah, I was reading the orc codex at work all day yesterday. If I wasn't like doing deliveries... I popped that bad boy open, I was reading it, and I was just like, and and what's funny is whenever I was coming home from the hall that I got, I my job happened to be on the way, so I quickly stopped, grabbed all the boxes, and I ran inside back into the kitchen, and I go, bro, look at my hall, and everyone was like, yo, that's so dope, <laughs> everyone was like, yo, that's cool, man, this and that, blah, 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 and when I found out after I left, they were still talking about it, like, yo, did you see what Sean brought in? And they're like, no, I didn't see it. So I came into work, when I came into work, like, 40 minutes later, because that's when I was supposed to clock in, I brought the codex, and I was just reading it all day. And I was sitting down with a couple of, and a couple of coworkers kind of, like, opened it themselves. Like, yeah, I, I opened it. I got to the part where they were talking about Gork and Mork. And I'm like, oh, Zog me. <laughs> <laughs> oh. One's Brewer and Conan. One, that, is, that is definitely one thing I will comment on. Like what you use, like Zogme. It's like Feth. Yeah, yeah. Feth. I remember the first time reading Gorn's Ghost. I was what 13, 12, 13 years old, and like it, it was those little touches that and Abner was always brilliant at it in terms yeah. of making it feel real by yeah. adding those little touches, those little kind of snippets of humanizing and and uh, equating these far-flung and very hard to relate with people given their situation yeah modern soldiery yeah mm-hmm. little things like you know the the rituals around the, them having their recaf and their low sticks and and Corinthian uh, s- uh, swearing and things like that it was just a really cool little touch of, of making yeah. it feel like a little more real and I think that's what games Workshop does very well mm. yeah they they always manage to make this completely off the wall insanity of a setting. It's so feel like something you can relate to and something that you can you can imagine, you can picture it, you can understand it. And yeah. that's that's quite a feat. Like, it is. I mean, we we had it. We had um. I think it was the 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 first and only. So the first the, the first novel we had it on audiobook. Um, and we were in the car driving somewhere and. and 
Perfect. We went a fair distance. We a good couple of hours in, and uh, and and something happened. You know, Sunday driver went past, and Mrs. Apocathary sat next to him, and went, "Feth you!" And <laughs> I just burst out laughing. It was just, it was absolutely brilliant, and it was contextual as well. It was like, "Yeah, spot on, nice one." And for about three months, I was saying "feth" like yeah. the entire time. It just, it just was so fluid. And it, it was so, yeah, like you said, it was so relatable. It was like, ah, Feth. Yeah, I did exactly, <laughs> I did exactly the same thing after I read uh, First and Only in the Necropolis in the early three. Oh, yeah. Oh, and what a set of books. I, I, I was absolutely fantastic. I, I keep going back just every yeah, so often. I, and I always, I always seem to get so far, and I think that's because of the dyslexia, but I only seem to get, like, six seven books in and and then i have to like restart again um but i don't i don't you know i don't, I don't have a problem with that <laughs> there are far worse series to have to go back and reread aren't there i mean oh, yeah 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 I, definitely. I definitely think the, the guard in particular um are some of the best lore deposits in in the entire setting partly because mm-hmm. they're, they're the humans they're the most yeah mm-hmm. related but there are so so many and an ever growing number of interesting books written from the guards' perspective. So the, the two sets that came out quite recently, um, Justin Hill's Cadian Honor and Cadia Stand. I was just cool. about to say Men Cadillac. Yeah, I have Cadian Honor as a hard copy. I need to finish reading it. It's so good. The, the second one uh, I finished reading that a couple of weeks ago. Um, wasn't the book I was expecting, but portrays the war of the war on Cadia brilliantly. Mm. Um, and it really kind of gets across the desperation and just how savage that fight was. Um so yeah, like I said, not the book I went into into it expecting to read, but really glad that I did. It's a really good book. And the other one that I really, really enjoyed was um Rachel Harrison's offerings, the Antari eleventh. On, on about short uh, stories, they are absolutely fantastic. Commissar Rain is a brilliant character. Uh, the Antari themselves are really interesting. They they've got this kind of grim practicality to them that's that's really interesting to see. Yeah, um, and their their stormtroopers are brilliant. The Hellhounds uh, with their kind of snarling masks and things like that. It's just a yeah. really nice touch. They feel quite unique. Yeah, um, I, I I can agree with that. I haven't I haven't read it. I've seen like the artwork. Um, and I saw that and I was like, oh, I need to like, I could totally paint some of them. I'd, I'd think I'd have a lot of fun. There's no, sh- there is absolutely no surprise whatsoever. <laughs> there. No, I've got, I've got rain. She's unpainted, but I have got rain to do as well. She got kill team rules for version one. I don't know if she'll port across into version two, given how they've taken the game and used oh, basically and around full squads. But, um, Oh, the hell run out at some point, and when the guard codex gets redone, I'm sure I'll fall down that rabbit hole and paint up some Antari to go with them. Mm, oh, yeah. yeah, I I I saw the model when it I, like when it was previewed, and I was like, "Yep, that that's going on the paint." Like, I haven't like grabbed <laughs> one yet, but that that immediately went on the you know f- fifth or sixth page of my to paint list. Um, <laughs> I was like, oh, "Yeah, I'm I will say the um, oh. The, the names just escaped me. The 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 first Imperial Guard book you mentioned, the, the Imperial Stand, Cadia uh, Stands, Stand. um, Minkalesque. Yeah, yeah. The the one thing I really enjoyed about that one 
the characters. Mm. Like you you get really invested in some of those characters. And throughout certain events you you kind of sat there like thinking, No, 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 it's not time. Yeah, there's definitely I had enough of that character yet. <laughs> yeah, there's a few um a, a few clenching moments in those books, has to be said. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do Cadians have purple eyes? Is that a Cadian thing? Some do, yeah. Some mm. do. Um, That's awesome. Not all, I can tell, but yeah, it's, it's something that is um, it's not uncommon in, in Cadians. Gotcha. Um, the other thing I found really interesting about those books, um, from a kind of lore perspective that you don't see very much, is the politics between guards regiments. Mm. The Cadians have always held themselves up as being this superior fighting force. They were the best of the, of the guard end of. like They were the first defense against chaos and have been for 10,000 years. Yeah. And then Cadia falls. And all of the other guard regiments start smelling blood in the water. And oh, they start trying try to challenge that position a bit. Yeah. I, I, I won't describe the scene because it's... God, it's man, like, I gotta start reading that I think I book think I again. You're about, but... Sean's yeah, gotta stop fucking around and read that book, dog. Yeah. The, the, the opening of, of the first one, uh, Cadian Honor. I think yeah. it's the first one, isn't it? Um, he almost got in a confrontation a, with someone. Uh, well, one of her commanding officers has a um, a conversation, shall we say, with with another high ranking officer from a different regiment. Yeah, um, and it uh, yeah, it goes about as well as you'd expect, really. Pretty much, almost <laughs> socks him in the fucking nose, if I remember it right. It's. It, I don't think it's not quite. Um... It's not quite, you know, gaunt slapping a, uh, a basilisk <laughs> commander, but um, the, the the dragoons, the vaulting dragoons. Uh, no, the, I can never remember the name. The the basilisk. Oh my yeah, god. Yeah, the other yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, when they shell the wrong position. Uh -huh, right. Yeah, it's it's not quite, you know, slapped in the face up before the uh, the CEO and 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 a, and a basilisk <laughs> charging through your command. Command, uh, <laughs> command camp's garden, but uh, it's it's definitely uh, a potent event. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yep. I mean, so, it's, yeah. I, I do agree because the only other time really you see those sort of politics is literally is the Gaunt's Ghost novels, or a little bit in you see a little bit. I think you see a little bit in the Cyphers came, but more in the Gaunt's Ghost stuff because obviously there's multiple yeah. regiments in the Sabbath yeah. Crusade. But yeah, there's there's definitely more of an insight into it, and I think that's... It, it draws you in a bit more as mm. well. Have characters yeah. from other books, like, run into each other? Um... Outside of the, the big-name characters, obviously, Ragnar has turned up in a few different ones, like, from the 13th Black Crusade through to um, Third War for Armageddon, uh, as well as his own books as well. There's been some kind of crossover with those, but... By and large, they seem to kind of keep to their own channels. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you do get the occasional canon conflict between certain, uh, particularly with the with the novels um, during with certain events being very close to each other. Mm. Um, I know there's been a few where I've been reading them and I've gone, "Oh, hang on a minute. Oh, are we going to get to see so and so?" And then I've carried on reading and got and got a bit disappointed that I. So and so hasn't had that ca a cameo, or there has hasn't been a conversation. You're kind of thinking, well, yeah, they're there, but this this is what we 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 get this a lot with the law. We we get a lot of these conflicting dates and 
Um, it was so. something, that, something they brought up in in Dark Imperium, the, the first of the new trilogy, um, where Gulliman is is sat down going through all the records of Imperial kind of history. Yeah, and realizing that no one actually knows what the date is. <laughs> oh um, my god! We we like obviously we have our official timeline from Games Workshop, and and like it's been nine 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 M forty one for the last twenty years. Yeah, and he's going through all this and realizing that actually it could be anywhere from. 700 something m41 to the middle of the 42nd millennium and no one knows there is no like so many broken records and trying to maintain uh kind of a consistent time basis when you have planets on different rotations and different distances from the stars god man Rabute just comes home and sees his house is a fucking mess <laughs> i'm <laughs> sorry if if i was gilliman i'd have just gone back to sleep <laughs> <laughs> He's been like, fuck, look around, flip the pillow. Nope. Nah. Nope. I'm out of this one. You're right. Oh, my God. Snooze. Snooze. (laughs) Oh, my God, right? At some point, he probably must have thought that. It's like, okay, nightmare. No. Uh, Speaking of timeline, where are we now in modern times um, currently in 2021? Where are we in the 40k timeline? So this got, this got slightly retconned. Um, so the, the first issuing of Dark Imperium uh, was set, I think it was 200 years after the 13th Black Crusade. Oh, no, no. Uh, I mean, where are we currently living in the timeline oh, of no. Warhammer 40k? Because before us is the War in Heaven and all that jazz. But now we're in an age that takes place before... Um, the gold age of uh, technology. Oh, where we're, are we? We're, we're a couple of hundred years away. <laughs> yeah. So where are we right now in 2021 on the Warhammer 40k timeline? Uh, I think. We, well, depends on uh, on how optimistic you're feeling, but we could potentially be in for either a very good or a very bad time in the not in the next kind of few centuries. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we won't be around to see it. Let's put it that way, Sean. No, we won't. <laughs> no, thank goodness for us. Yeah, knowing, knowing, knowing what we've read, I don't want to be around. Thank you. <laughs> I think uh, we'll just I watch. Read, I, read, I read the ending. I read the spoilers. I don't want it. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, I don't want it. Thanks, um, but I'm all right. Unless yeah, I come I'm back right. as an orc, I think I'm okay. No, that's that's the that's the age old gif in the the age old meme nowadays, isn't it? It's like yeah, Star Star Trek, woohoo, boy, we you know warp speed and all that, and then they go, ooh, Star Wars, yeah, they've got faster than light travel, forty k, yeah, we rip holes in reality and then travel. And you're freaking, travel. your head literally becomes part of your ass when you <laughs> yeah. go through no. the through the warp. <laughs> oh my god, freaking a sea of emotion. Uh, with a, a hellscape dotted with predators made up of all of the different kind of crimes of every sentient race in history and that's oh, how we get made. you've seen that you've seen that meme where it's like a mom walks into a gw store it's like hey i'm buying models for my kids so who are the good guys <laughs> and then you see <laughs> that image of that lady looking at all the mathematical equations like um i know that's something I really, really liked about the the latest Tau Fluff because they they've always been kind of the closest thing that their setting has to actual good guys. Um, yeah. And 
they've really dialed up the sinisterness. Like the mm. Ethereum are not okay. <laughs> really, really yeah. not okay. We're not talking Tau, right? Yeah. 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 So like, they were always seen as being like the the enlightened, you know, rapidly up and coming nice guys. They look after their people. They, they yeah. want to come diplomacy first and all the rest of it and they'd rather expand their empire through peaceful work then you kind of get these hints as to how they maintain that peaceful empire and it's like oh this is this is bad this is this i is love that bad. though i kind of do really love that because yeah on surface uh, level you know the tower the good guys and the tower themselves believe that they're the good guys but then with the ethereals you get the politics behind it and it's like oh man yeah, lots and lots of uh, shady, shady stuff going on there. Which, yeah, um, it's been the real reason I didn't like them, Xenos scum. It's <laughs> like imperial. It's like they're no, they're no Imperium when it comes to mm. the corruption. But by all means, you know, nothing is perfect, and I do like that. I mean, straight up, I I see why people move uh, to join the greater good. Mm. Oh, I, I think that's one thing that one of the first things I read about the Tau actually, um, in law wise anyway, was was like imperial worlds that they'd taken over and like they'd absorbed the human populace into in, into their own military ranks and stuff like that. And I was like, that's that's kind of cool. I like that. Mm -hmm. And then you, you know, a couple of years go by and they expand on it and and how those soldiers are you know they're given all this training and they're given some all right weaponry and and then the way that they use them in battle is like <laughs> oh ouch it's, yeah. i do That's love that harsh. it's like yeah okay i get it they're not your speed but that again that that just builds on this sort of they're really not the good guys none of them are but that's yeah they're yeah a lot darker than i think most people give them credit for mm. Yeah, which you've got to, in a way, you've you've got to kind of admire. I mean, come on, a hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, you don't survive in the forty-first millennium by being a good guy, right? Like, that's just not how. You just not don't... how. Well, yeah, um, the the Eldar would happily burn a million human worlds to save one Eldar life, let alone you know a craft world or anything more than that. Yeah, the dark the dark Eldar literally torture you so they can survive. <laughs> yeah, Jesus, um, like for real. Yeah, mm. even like the Harlequins and stuff, like they're they're so callous and so uncaring. Yeah. Other than other than the great performance, I think that's that's kind of a thing as well. When you you read it in the books and you actually come across a what we would consider the nice guy, mm. and as soon as you come across that character, you automatically know something bad's coming. Like, oh yeah, forty k law definitely takes the whole nice guy finishes last to an extreme. I think his nice guy finishes dead actually nice yeah, guy well, not, nice yeah. guy never finishes yeah like, <laughs> nice guy only just gets up off the floor you know there's none of this <laughs> i didn't hear no bell palaver it, it's like and done they got and you, shot you, you, at the finish line yeah uh, at the you starting line for him though don't you it's like oh that's not fair oh my god the closest thing to a nice guy you get is a coward like like cyphus kane <laughs> Oh I, I think, in a way, see, there's there's one person that springs to mind, and I can never remember, and it's not a he, it's a her. Who's the nicest person y'all know in the lore who has still managed to tough out 
um, whatever the first millennium threw at them. Just about to say that. Yeah. Uh, she's in the Swift. You might be able to help me with this. Uh, former ganger. Jeez, I'm sure it's. Is it Guns of Tanith? Vervenhive. She's one of the Vervenhivers, and she saves two kids. Right. Um, yeah, I know. Can't her name, but I know you mean. Yeah, yeah. like she's like in amongst all that chaos. You know, there's an artillery bombardment going around. There's people. You know, there's there's the high high class people and working class people. Plumbing, fighting each other to 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 get to bunkers and find cover and everything else while all this chaos and hell's going on around them. And she she takes these two kids and protects them and looks after them. You know, she breaks into military stores, which is that's that's a, an execution executionable offense. Yeah, mm-hmm. and she still does it to feed these kids. You know, and then I'm trying not to spoil it too much, but then later on when these kids are reunited with a family member, she doesn't step up. She doesn't say anything, mm. you know, yeah. and her whole dialogue with a particular member of the Tanith first and only is just priceless. It's like that to me, she is probably one of the nicer people. Like there's still some callous there. There's still, you know, let's not face it. She still gets indoctrinated into the guard. She still chooses that lifestyle, but, yeah, to me, yeah. Probably like she's probably one of the nicer people I've I've come across in the law. Yeah, that's that's fair. I think um, Minkalesk and uh, and Commissar Rain would also probably sit in that same sort of. They're pragmatic. They're practical. They're not going to you know go above yeah. and beyond necessarily every yeah. every time. They they're not bad people. Um, even yeah. as a commissar, Rain has a surprising amount of compassion. It puts a lot of depth into the commissariat and and takes them from being this very faceless nameless black hat and a bolt gun to yep someone actually relatable um so where can i where can i read about that commissar uh that's honor bound so the the uh, rachel harrison's short stories and then her, her novel um which i think is still available as a hard copy it might be digital only now it might be out of print i'm not sure bam <laughs> lord god does it again thanks swifty <laughs> <laughs> no worries uh, but it's a really it's a brilliant read um, as I say it's one of the, the best guard books of the last last few years um, I got I got a question if y'all can insert y'all's own little story or y'all's own little bit of lore in um, what would it be I mean I, I'd love to get my homebrew chapter in there somewhere um, mm. so me and some friends um, have been developing this a sector of space called Serapis, um, and we have three Space Marine chapters in the Forge World, or a Forge Moon, sorry, uh, which are basically defenders of this of this space, um, mm-hmm. in the same way as the yeah. Astral Claws and all that were the, the kind of wardens of Badab. This is their sector of space that they manage and they look after, and we've written, you know, pages and pages of lore and names and history and battles and that's awesome. Um, so I'd, I'd love to see them get an official shout out one day. Um, what's the homebrew uh, chapter called? Uh, the ardent crusaders. Uh, awesome. The ardent crusaders. Yeah. Awesome. The ardent. Successors of Dawn who basically looked at the black Templars and went, yeah, let's do that. That looks fun. Mm-hmm. Um, 
they they're very much close quarters combat. Uh, lots of flamers, um, like hitting stuff. Don't have any librarians. Uh, they're an ultimate founding chapter, so they they should in theory have um, a tent company in Phobos armor. Uh, they refuse to wear Phobos armor because you know sneaking around isn't how they do things. Mm. <laughs> uh, all about that heavy infantry assault. Um, so uh, Gravis or Tacticus only. Nice. They said no I'm... thanks, Mechanicus. We're only taking that armor. Yeah, yep. give me more of the heavy stuff, please. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so I'd, I'd love them to get a, a, a shout out at some point. I, I think we'd all like to have our custom chapters put in somewhere, right? Like, Definitely. I, yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm. I'm not gonna deny that. I think I had a homebrew chapter way back in the day. I played for Dawn of War, and I called them Skull Guardians. Nice. That's what they were called. They were. They had the most kid, colorful uh, paint. It was like just green marines, yellow trim, blue shoulder pauldrons. That's a combination. I know, that's right? Cool. Like, uh, maybe I'll I'll paint one like it again and be like Homebrew Marine Skull Guardians. That's what it was called. And I w I might make like a modern version. I'm like, now that I'm older and XYZ, like this is what they are now and they've evolved into this. That would be cool to do one day. Um, mm -hmm. Matthew, what about you? Oh, shit. Mini Apothecary. Um, Bob. Puh. I have no idea. I mean, I've I've been lucky enough to, um, I mean, unfortunately, I haven't got the the like the amount of stuff written down, but I have plenty of memories of a number of uh, projects um, that have ended up in huge six eight month long campaigns and apocalypse games. And oh my god, I've built four separate homebrew chapters in the past and i'm currently building two new ones now and yeah I, i'm with matt on this on swifty with this one it's like that there's everyone would love especially if you like anyone who like does their own thing you know having your your homebrew being made official you know is 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 that's that's awesome yeah. and I, I, probably that would be yeah i'd be the same like i'd I'd love to like have I don't know the Anvil Guard's last stand against Tyranids, you know, holding them back in a battle line alongside Cadian troops and and some some like salamanders Super or something. Sick. That'd be awesome, you know. Or I'm you know, I'm trying to think now. There's some there's so much stuff. Like there's so many games that I can think of. Like yep, okay, that that there's there's one particular fight I'd love to see immortalized and official. In, in a book somewhere, even if it's just like a mention, yeah. you know. Um, wow, thinking about it, I've had a lot of last stands with my homebrew chapters. <laughs> Oopsies. Um, Funnily enough, I'm, I'm currently working on the, I don't know if you guys have seen the War of the False, False Primark project on Instagram. Um, yeah, um, oh, wow. Created, created another homebrew for that called the Argent Heralds, and they're going out in a blaze of glory, you know. Part of the reason for that was um, I, I didn't want to have them survive the war because I knew I'd be tempted to then keep collecting the army. Yeah. So if I if I narratively kill them off, I can't collect the army and use it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, mine was you had to it. obey your head cannon. You have to obey yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, my my main one, my my main one that kind of got killed off um, was the Anvil Guard for me. Mm -hmm. 
you know, that, that started off as just a company project and I ended up collecting four separate companies. Wow. Um, two battle line, one devastator reserve. That was not as fun as it sounds. Um, fun to play all my days. Um, but to collect and bin and build was a nightmare and, uh, an assault reserve, which again was not as fun as it sounds. I hate oh. paying tax. Can't stand it. Oh, no. <laughs> um, but from a, I mean, from a law standpoint, um, yeah, I, I had them for two years and by the time I got rid of them, it went to a father and son. And the last I heard they, they developed and built on its existing law. Um, so that instead of it ending and and that was it, like they went out in a blaze of glory in various locations across the galaxy. These this father and son duo kind of retconned that and expanded on the law, and they went off and got involved in various other campaigns and stuff. Oh, sweet! Um, I I love building on like this. One of the, the big draws because it's it's not only is it like law oriented and and fluff oriented, but it's also hobby oriented because you're you're building and you're painting and you're expanding on things with your own head cannon and yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. But yeah, I would definitely have to agree with Swifty in that regard. Like seeing you're at an army or a, a game that you've t- taken part in immortalized. Yeah. Um, I mean the the false Primark stuff. I I saw uh, some of your stuff, Swifty, and I was like, what now? Who now? Where now? Ooh. <laughs> like no, no. Don't, don't, no, don't get involved. It's not overshore, yeah. Jordan, too much involved. You got you because this is that's how the, the the return to Badab started. It were like, what? Yeah, I need, get, I need to get back to the Raptors at some point. There, yeah, so. you do. Yeah, you do. Because this one, Sean, I'm not joking. This one right here, uh-huh. like, yeah, come on, come do the come do the return to Badab. It'll be awesome. You know, build a company. We meet up at Warhammer <laughs> World at a later date. We'll have a big game. It'll be fun. Yeah, it'll be awesome. Me. Jumped in both feet. Like I love Carcharodons. I've loved them since like when they first came out, and they've I've never really done anything with them. They've always been that that love that I've kept at arm's length. And then yeah. I went and looked in my bits box, and I found all the Marines. I thought, yep, yeah, right, we're doing this. Three months later, I'm still the only loyalist that's done anything. Oh, no, I'm not because Pete's done some, but Matt Pete's- was like, yeah, I'll join. I will do it together. Nah. <laughs> That's yeah, like, what, five guys now, is it? <laughs> Let, let's be generous and say, yeah. Um, <laughs> definitely don't have to go back to four or five. Oh, my God. I mean, the Bad Ab War is another one of those key points. I know some people aren't too, don't, they're not too keen on it because it's Marines versus Marines. Yeah. But when you get into the nitty-gritty of it, when you read more into it, it wasn't. Like, there was a hell of a lot went on, and there was a lot of different... Like imperial organizations involved, as well as um, Xenos elements and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a massive sprawling, sprawling conflict by the end. Um, mm. And I think again, it kind of touches back on the whole kind of tragedy of, of the of the setting, and it was basically avoidable. Yeah, um, it was a couple of bad calls and some arrogance led to the biggest civil war since the. Vandier heresy, like oh, no yeah. kidding. Yeah, someone, someone definitely made a made a boo boo in that one. Bloody inquisitors, inquisitors, uh, yeah. man. Is this is this the same as the event where the inquisitor was challenging the space wolves, or is this a different event? Separate event. So the the, the space wolves have had a more 
a share of conflict with the Inquisition, but this in this particular instance, they were uh, elsewhere. Um, gotcha. Man, they so, bitch slapped the shit out of whatever Inquisitor was trying to punk them. I mean, you don't really turn up to the, the home world of a Space Marine chapter to making <laughs> demands, do you? You kind of go. You really don't. No. Lessons really. were learned. Even the even the the Grey Knights were like, "Bro, I'm not sure about this." <laughs> so, yeah, there's the space. Wars. So we're going to take all these civilians and, and put them somewhere safe now. Grey Knights, sorry, we can't let you do that. And then the Inquisitors like, but and then Space Wolves go, but what, bitch? I don't believe I was asking permission. Yeah, <laughs> there was definitely no asking involved. We, we're, just, we're telling you this. This is happening, like it or not. Oh my god! Yeah, it's. I mean, you've seen um, oh, Curse of the Wolf and stuff. Like mm. when they all rocked up at Fenris, even like even the Grey Knights were a little bit hesitant to to do anything. You know, they wanted to open channels of. To, to talk and find out what was going on before firing those first shots. Like smart people do? Like smart people do, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, I've, I've, I'm not particularly a fan of the Grey Knights, law-wise, and that's purely and simply because of their relationship with the in Inquisition. But, overall, yeah, when it comes to their relationship with the Space Wolves, yeah, it's very much, uh, there's, there's, a, there's a respect there um, <laughs> in the law, and you can see it when you read it. Mm. Yeah. Here's a question for you: If there was a single piece of 40k law that you could change, what would it be? What would you change? Oh, that's to? such a good question. Uh. <laughs> um. Oh, I know. I know what I would do. Um. Go on, John. While Matt's there. Um. I would have the the woman who was the mother of the Primarchs. Like in in late late lore, she was kind of the one that sent them out. Um, uh, Astarte, yeah. Astarte is that well? Astarte helped create the Astartes, but there was another woman who had her own genes to make uh, the okay, Primarchs. Well, yeah, and she oh, was the I one who you... spread them out. Okay, can't remember yeah, her name though. She, oh, the one that's yeah, she's like referred to as the mother, isn't she? Yeah, as the mother, I would. Is she a perpetual? Because that's the big that's the big reason why on, I don't on my know. explanation. I'm sure I've read something somewhere. Because she if she's the perpetual, I would have loved to just have her have some type of interaction with the Primarchs, either um during, just after, or maybe even in modern times with Rebute. Like mm. just to like that would be so interesting to have. There's so many Lord things I could have change but if i were to change something i would have had the mother actually visit them and talk to them and have that conversation like where were you when all this came on and with the emperor and this and that and you know because you know daddy issues are a thing but you know a broken family is also another thing and that could create more layers to that story you know and i think that would be cool have a rock on the bridge of the vengeful spirit like Alana, Mor Alana Morissette from the end of Dogma. Right. <laughs> <laughs> with that with that resting bitch face as if to say, and what do you think you're doing, young man? Horace is like, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry, sorry mummy. Grabs him by the ear. <laughs> yeah. Okay, sure. Tells the chaos gods to, to like, you know, 
you leave him alone, and you you are coming home with me now, boy. Oh right. my god, drags him back That's to terror. Scary concept is that? God, no <laughs> doubt some Primarchs would just squish concept. her. It's like, oh, uh, where were you, bitch? Bam, squish. But I think that would be cool because she kind of just disappears, and there's so much that can happen with that. You know, mm. like I just imagine the implications of hearing one of the Primarchs say "mother." Like mm. that would blow minds. Yeah, that's that's a good point. That's a really good option. Yeah. Did I share with y'all what what lore thing I would insert into the lore? No, I don't think so. Okay, all right. Here's here's a little story. I I've always wanted to write. The idea's been in my head, and I want to write this story at some point. It's okay, a story. Here we go. It's a story that involves orcs. No, shut up, man! You shut up! <laughs> <laughs> I already know. As soon as that thing lit up, he's like, he's like, yep. So it involves orcs. <laughs> and uh, it's either going to involve freebooters or blood axes. And um, uh, they end up kidnapping either um, an inquisitor, a commissar, or a captain. And... She is kidnapped with a couple of guardsmen and a xenobiologist by the orcs. <laughs> yep. And what happens is they kidnap her so they can learn about Yumi. So if it's like the Freebooters, um, they want to learn about where Yumi treasure can be and where they can do ambushes and and learn things about how to fight Yumi's better. Then it's just about um, furthering their knowledge of tactics, things like that. They would kidnap this group. And what she, what this um, character would do, and for now, I'm just going to make her, like, um, a captain, I guess. Because orcs aren't going to really have context on who they kidnap. It's like, alright, this is a Yumi that is a bit more flashier than the other Yumi, so they just might be in charge. So, they're captive, and the boss uses her to gain knowledge on um, Imperial, um, Imperial worlds and things like that. But... She learns that she can manipulate the orcs in a certain way to better serve the Imperium or just do what she knows, you know, is right or not. So she ends up convincing the orcs, like, let's say there's a story plot that I've thought of where chaos is attacking a homeworld. And she learns to um, manipulate the orcs and have them ransack, I think, like a titan or a knight or whatever... And they use that to help fight chaos. And she manipulates them to get stuck in. And she knows how to... Her and the xenobiologist work together to how to speak to the orcs. But what makes the tension is that... How long can she keep it up before the orcs mm. start to catch on that she's manipulating them? You know? Yeah, she so ends up saving a couple of Imperial worlds, civilians, things like that. And she ends up putting the, the orcs to use and how they really could be. And, you know, there's introductions to other orcs, like, there could be an introduction to Badruck coming into the story, or Gaskell, you know, because I know Gaskell wouldn't be as fuck off with Deskulls, because he's a sneaky git, too. He's cunning. So he can come into the story, and and same thing with Badruck and the Freebooters. The Freebooters would be fun if they went with the Freebooters, but I feel like Blood Axes would make just much more sense. So she learns about orcs. Um, the xenobiologist learns about orcs, and she learns how to use them to her advantage. I think there's even an option where she can escape, and she's like, 
I don't know, there's there's a reason why I'm here. I need to see it through. If I die here, it's the Emperor's will, this and that. So she uses the orcs to her favor, you know? And sometimes there's a hard choice where she sees injustice amongst the Imperium happening. And she ends up manipulating the war boss into taking those Imperial troops out. Like, like let's say an exterminatus or a genocide or, or some fucked up thing that the Imperium does. Because the Imperium does a fucked up thing every now and then. Like, it happens every other day of the week. So, her hands are kind of tied and she can't do it a diplomatic way. And then she has no choice but to do what she knows is right. So, she ends up using the orcs. So, you know, and and that's where the tension comes from. She can die at any moment and it can go wrong. And... and for all she knows, she could be making these orcs way more powerful. And if these orcs get loose with what they've learned and what they know and what they do, it could be really fucking bad. So that tension is there. That mental gymnastics. And they're orcs, man. They're not like people. You never know if an orc is catching on, if it's playing dumb. if they. And for all she knows, the orcs could be aware of what she's trying to do the whole time. They just don't give a fuck. They're like, yeah, oh exactly. yeah, you, you've been giving us great fights, so we don't really give a shit. But if you yeah. stop, we're just going to stomp you out, you know? You never, you never know what's going to happen. And because of that unpredictability, the story can go in so many different directions. Orcs mm. have worked with every race. Orcs have fought every race. There can be an orc-on-orc fight. There can be where two different clans work together. Like, she can straight up face Gaskell. And Gaskell could say some, some straight-up cryptic shit to her that scares her out of her mind. But he's had he's had all Bailey, so Gaskell knows what it's like when it comes to Yumi's, you know, or even Captain Badruck, or having like an orc meeting of some kind that really mm. brings in other orc characters. Like I think it would be really cool to bring that in and seeing how orcs are, and she learns more about orcs, and she learns things about herself because of orcs, and I think that's a story I really want to tell. It's a very unique perspective. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, to see kind of the interior of orc society, but from this lens of a scientist, basically. Yeah, and she can feed this information to the Imperium. Like, I feel mm. like she'd have someone on the Imperium who at first was super against it, but saw what, what happened. And it's like, all right, do your thing. But if we see things going wrong, you know, we're going to take you out. And it's the tension both ways. Tension from mm. the Imperium tension from the orcs like she's stuck in the middle and you never know when she's finally going to bite it so that tension is always there so i think that's a really cool story to tell like you're we're in the lion's den and we're lucky that they're not hungry and that they're protecting us and doing what we got to do but man you never know with orcs like i could only imagine a bit where i would write where they encounter the tyranids you know what i mean but yeah, yeah that's that's a story I want to tell. Let's uh, talk to Octarius as well. Uh, yep. Yeah. Someone get the flame. Oh my <laughs> god, Octarius. I that's right now. I'm so glad that that's where the story's gonna focus on next. Because mm. I'm gonna have such yeah. a hot, good time with that. It's so good to be an orc player right now. All yeah, the mucking it. about gobbins. It's a great little kind of nugget of games to dive into. Um this whole like it was a absolutely the right call at the time from the Inquis Inquisition to like get the high fleet and the orcs just to batter each other, but it's just getting so much worse. Yeah. They needed well, to do something that was next. Not a good idea. 
I think yeah. everything was good up until the point where they stepped back and left it alone. They should have followed through with that. Yeah. Like, as soon as the, the Tyranids and the Orcs started fighting each other, the Imperium should have gone behind the scenes and started whittling down um, the Tyranids from the other end. Rather than mm. just saying, alright, let the Orcs handle it. Because the quicker they would have ended it with the Tyranids, the quicker they can stomp out the Orcs. Like, while they're preoccupied, they could have set themselves up to take both of them out. But no, they stepped back and things got bad. Someone needed, really needed to turn around and press that big red button. <laughs> yep. I'm just saying. Boo-hoo, while, you know, boo. while, they're all, while they're all there, you know, Gazgul turned up at one point and you've got all these Tyranids swarming over these various planets and you've got these hordes upon hordes of orcs. Someone should have just pressed the big red button and just decimated that entire system. Yeah. It's just, 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 just be done with it. Just go away. Yeah. Just um, hit hit the Tyranids from behind and then just, just pop a couple of war bosses from the orcs and be yeah. done with it. That's all you had to do, Crippman. It's not that fucking hard, man. You went through all I'm the sorry. trouble to, to put them together like this. Why walk away? You fucked up, man. Swift, so... This this question about what are the law, about changing things, right? Yeah. Uh, Here we go. I don't know. I really don't. Like my my, I've never, I've never really had like a particular part of the law that I've read and gone, nope, that needs to change. Like, or 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 I've, I've immediately disliked. Yeah. Okay. Seriously. I'm actually not saying that. There's one, but there's there is one thing. There's one thing I would change. Two Magnus. words. No, two <laughs> words. Colin Corbeck. <laughs> that's it. That, that, that's what I. I need context. Colin Corbeck. That is the only thing. That's oh it. Oh my yeah. god. I'm done. Mic drop. Swift. Give me the context, baby, because I don't recognize that name. <laughs> I think our dear apothecary is still in mourning. Oh my god! You explain it to me. I am. I'm sorry. I am. Oh my god. Very, very, it's it's common knowledge at this point, so I don't think it's really going to be spoilers for anyone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, The the books are like 15 years old, right? So yeah. Colin Corbett was a a very popular ghost in the Gaunt's Ghost series. Uh. Ah. Unfortunately, meets a. uh, meets his end in the arc of the story Damn. Um, and yeah it was it was one of those things when you read it for the first time and you're like no that's that's not allowed no <laughs> that's that no god i gotta i gotta read gaunt's ghost man i mean i was like that when like there's earlier on in the book i think it's like i think it's necropolis like it, it was gearing up for it to happen to dorden yeah and i'm sat there like on the edge of my chair and i'm thinking like no no, 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 that, not Dodden. Anyone but Dodden. No, not Dodden. <laughs> and then it, it, it obviously turns out that, it, it, you know, he didn't die. And I was like, oh, poof, thank God for that. And then oh, I carried on reading, man. and then Corbeck happened, and, and, and I put the book down, and, and I and <laughs> didn't finish it. I was like, no. no. <laughs> no You're in the no. morning stage. No. That, 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 I, think that's what, I think that's what made the Gaunt's series quite as hard-hitting as it was. Yeah. Most of the, the kind of the novels up to that point, if 
if someone's dying, it's generally either a lot of guardsmen that you don't really have that connection to, or it's, you know, a space marine who's going out in a heroic last stand rest of, like, the mortal characters. Yeah. We never really get them built up to the point where we care enough when they die. Yeah. Yeah. The Gorn series just completely eradicated that as a standing point. It's like, all of these characters are fair game. Yeah. Any single one of them could go at some point, and as the reading... just not prepared for that when you first pick them up. You know, um, you, I mean, it's weird because, like, I mean, building on what you're saying, like most most stories, you know, you've you've, you've got your your primary character, you know, the the, the one that's always up front. Mm-hmm. Then you've got those like he's he's close inner circle. But as you as you go through the books, that inner circle is constantly shifting and changing. That you know, there's clearly losses on on that journey. Yeah. And then you've got, like, backup characters, which are these people that just occasionally flit in and out of that inner circle. You hear about them in passing, or you get a brief, like, bit of banter or a bit of backstory, and that's it. Mm. And then you get the masses of people. Um, But personally, it's like... Yeah, it's it's really weird, because, like, even those, those ones that just sort of come in briefly to the inner circle and you get that little bit of a of a backstory to a little bit of engagement between them and one of the more primary characters you still get that sort of connection yes there and it's it's tangible and then like oh right okay so we had this skirmish we lost x amount of men including so and so and you're immediately like oh so i don't know i i i don't I must be. I'm, I must seem dead boring because, like, we 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 talk about like lore and and like things we change, but I don't know. I don't think I really ever, other than like the odd character which I really like, and it's it's yeah. sad to see like them cease to be. It's like I don't know. I'm there's, kind of with you on that one. I'm with you on that one. I think they've done well with the story. There's very, very little I change. And don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I agree with our initial like statements at the beginning. Um, like you know, it was it, it was the law was to a degree it was stagnant because we were stuck with this perpetual two minutes to midnight, as, as Swifty said. Yeah. And it's good to see it's moving forward. You know, we're, we're having some progress, not just when it comes to. Um, the Imperium, but the galaxy as a whole, you know. Yeah. We had the whole the Silent King returning, there's still yeah. possibilities of other Primarchs coming back. Gasgol possibly still... being a Cork at some point. <laughs> yeah, you've got Gasgol. You've got you've still got the big questions surrounding like the Tyranids, for example. Yeah. You know, we had the whole desolation of Baal and you look at some of the maps in the new rule book and stuff and and you see the sort of infestation that's going on yeah um tendrils but like, as, as well with like the tau you know you look at like what happened with their oh dear the fifth tau, tau need more development they need more story in the in the lore they really do yeah i'm getting that slowly I think yeah. more recent stuff and the stuff with farsight is, is definitely started to push the boundaries of that make them more interesting than you know these are the mech suits of 40k yeah, yeah. they're getting some depth and they're getting some love but I mean, they're they're also the newest edition, right? Like every other faction in in forty k has had three decades to be built up, and the tower only introduced in what the 
mid noughties I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I remember the first kind of Tau kits coming out when I was still at school. Um, so they've had a lot less time to be developed. Um, yeah. And they are very divergent from kind of your archetype races in 40k as well. They are very much the kind of shiny new boy on the scene in, in more ways than one. So they're, they're just going to take a bit of time to, to get to the same level of depth. Uh, get on it, Gilliman. Cool. Get on it. Do something with them, Gilliman. Gilliman and potentially either Farsight, and Farsight or even the, the main empire itself forming some kind of alliance. Yeah. Uh, which is... With everything that's going on in that that particular part of the galaxy that at the moment, yeah, yeah, it, yeah, I, I think that kind of no end to happen. Yeah, uh, I think the the one thing I would change, I think, is I feel like they missed a bit of an opportunity with the Rubicon Primaris. Um, there, there really? are... Yeah, so uh, bear, bear with me on this because it, it's. <laughs> It's a bit dark, but like all of those characters that have been in the setting for a really long time, but haven't really necessarily gone anywhere. Um, mm? It would have been a really interesting way of having them fail and die. So, for example, take take Ragnar as a very much this this is a, probably the most extreme example that I've kind of discussed with people. He's the, the prophesized young king. He's there to to basically be this beacon of hope and, and the future of the chapter going forward. And you know he's already being kind of pitched as the next Lord Wolf after um, after Logan dies and all the rest yeah. of it. What if he died on the operating table? And all of that potential, all of that saga, all of that destiny is just eradicated in a moment. Guys, go stomp that kid. And, and instantly, like all of that darkness and all that grit and grimness that goes with the setting, just really comes home in that moment of like, this is someone who had the potential of centuries on his shoulders and all the hopes of the chapter, and he's just gone. Um, that would have been interesting. Uh, you know what I think? I would have, I would have tried to have my cake and eat it too. I'd have him die on the operating table and then the Emperor pulls some warp shenanigans and after like a week or a month kind of brings him back or something like that. I'd have my cake and eat it too. I'd have him digest that real, there's abandon all hope for a little bit. And then I'd be like, all right, pop. But I feel like, I know some some people think that's a little cheap, but Goblite kind of did it, so whatever. I, and do you know what, I, I, I mean, even looking back, just like throwing my mind back, um, to the events surrounding like Cadia and, and prior to that with like Curse of the Wolf and, and the Wrath of Magnus and stuff I, the Space Wolves suffered quite a lot I mean they lost the two Wolf Lords down still, still? New, the yeah. are there three aren't they? Uh, it's either two or three yeah as far yeah. as I know I've not named the successes the, the great companies are still going by their previous names yeah yeah uh, I mean, to have and to, to lose another one, especially with someone like Grimnar, uh, like Ragnar, sorry, that would be disastrous. Yeah. But I kind of like it in in a weird way. Yeah, I, I, I'd have to agree. That's definitely a like that. interesting interesting point. Is that dude? But I get where you're coming from. Like we, we've we have got we've got a lot of characters that um you know we, we've got a lot of characters that pretty much have been not really done much and yeah, yeah. It's, 
was made around how dangerous it was, and I know that they, they kind of reasoned it out with when Calgar goes through it, they, they find out the flaws in the process and it becomes safer as a result, but it's still meant to have this fatality rate. Yeah, because it was mentioned... Um, it was... It was in, oh, excuse me. It was mentioned as well uh, with Dante, like the reason why he didn't go through it and Mephiston did, yeah, was because obviously he'd got named essentially, you know, regent for the Imperial Nihilus, and and you know they didn't want to lose him, yeah. So Mephiston went through it instead, um, so that you know it, 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 to prove that it wasn't as dangerous. I mean, I, I'm still waiting for. Dante to go through it. I mean, maybe hasn't he be the done one it already? It hasn't he gone through the Rubicon? Inside. I don't think he did. I think I think he's still holding off on passing over into the into the ranks of the Primaris. I might be wrong. I haven't read the the Blood Angel supplement, so I'm, I'm not sure it's mm. been added. I don't think so. Although he's, I mean, he's Dante's old now. He is old. He's well over a thousand now. Yeah, I don't know what I mean, happened to him, but he's fading fast. Yeah, I'm gonna say like he. I think he'd be definitely one that might like go through the process and not come off the operating table alive. Yeah, and then what yeah. happens to? Hey, what happens to the Blood Angels? Because who who steps up into that role? Right. <laughs> none of the none of the captains since Tycho have really been named and given much spotlight. Especially mm. can't leave the chapter. That's yeah. that's the one I would kill on the operating table and bring back due to Sanguinius doing something. It's like he'll have his peace, he'll have his death, you know, he'll live in his death, and then. Um, and may maybe that that's kind of how you do the next phase of the Sanguinor plot, right? Like, because there's always that thing that is the Sanguinor, like the psychic embodiment of Sanguinius from the warp, and well, yeah, yeah, all the rest. Um, so do you make that the next kind of chapter of that story potentially? That that could be an interesting way of doing it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, um, that'll be that be my change. I have a final question for both y'all and myself, of of course. And please um, not a hard one. It's taking me a while. <laughs> because the lore is just so oh god. Um, what do you guys want to see in the lore in the future of Warhammer 40k? The story going forward, the lore going forward. Whoa. I think I, I want to see um, the, the Primarchs that can come back, feasibly come back. So I, I'm not that keen on Sanguinius and Ferris coming back. I know there are options for, for both of them, either as um, kind of warp entities or... Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's the thing around Ferris, uh, his body being recovered and taken to Mars, things like that. Yeah, I uh, wouldn't want them to come back fully either. I just, I like... What they've done, and I want it to mean something. Yeah, the, the, their deaths need to need to maintain meaning and gravitas, and you lose yeah. that if they kind of like it, it cheapens it, as you said earlier. It makes it, it makes it kind of feel a bit pointless. Yeah. Uh, but like Russ is somewhere chasing his own tail. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Jagatai is passing his time in a Kamora fighting pit somewhere. Yep. Vulcan is presumably off having a sulk. Um, <laughs> Like they, yeah. these are all characters that could very feasibly come back into this yeah. Imperium, yeah. Uh, and having to do that kind of readjustment process that the Rabute did, and whether they are quite as gracious about it as he is. So one of Rabute's kind of main compromises he made was realizing that he can't fight a war to save the Imperium, 
and fight a war against the ecclesiarchy. So he had to accept this kind of unwilling godhood, both for himself and for the emperor, yeah. just to just to kind of crack on with the day job. And he hates all the rest of them turn up though. Yeah. So so what happens when what happens if Russ turns up and sees this? Newfound, or not newfound now, but newfound to him, religion of like the emperor of God and all the rest of it. How does Russ react to that? How does um... okay? I, I I have something to say on that matter. Like I know there's not really a lot of love lost between Gilliman and Russ, but you know, like Russ comes back, Gilliman's words are going to be, "I get him, boy." And Russ is just gonna go, uh-huh. No, like no, 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 no. Russ is gonna punch the shit out of Gilliman for a second. I, I can well imagine the first scene that they get written in together. If he say he does come back, is Russ just like stomping towards him, just full on cold toxin. Bam! <laughs> yeah. Just like, boy, you smack. Like Russ comes back as old man Odin, like scarred, haggard, grizzled, one eye missing, like wearing this weird like cape of some beast he's flew somewhere in the distant past and just such straight. And here's what I think. Gilliman wouldn't take it personal because he'd be like, he, oh, no, he would, would, totally he would be like, personal. no, he'd Gilliman be like, so I wish he would, he wouldn't take it personal because he'd be like, you know, I wish I could have done that myself to someone when I came back. <laughs> someone had done that to me earlier. Yeah. If it wasn't, if it didn't happen to me, I would have done it to someone else if I came back second too. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, Matthew, what about you? Uh, fuck! <laughs> Apothecary, what about you? What was the question again? Sorry, I got, I, my mind's wandered off onto, like, expectations of what each of the Primarchs are going to do when they come back. I know, right? <laughs> that's a, that's a subject in itself, man. Shit. Um, what changes, like, what would you do with, what do you want to see in the lore? Oh, um... Moving forward in the story, I guess just I guess I mean in general just yeah probably like a bit more development when it comes to um, like maybe new upcoming characters or maybe the introduction of some new characters. I mean I'm not I'd never want to see the certain characters I'd never want to see like not be involved, you know. But we have had it over the years, you know. Yeah. There's, there's a number of characters that. There was a Salamander's chaplain, for example. Um, I can never pronounce his name, but he used to run around with like his croziest and a thunder hammer. You know, mm -hmm. yeah. I, I always remember his lore, and I can never remember like his name. And I just thought he was so badass. He's gone now. You know, doesn't exist. Um, you know, we had um, Tycho from the Blood Angels, Captain Tycho. Yeah. You know, we, we've had characters come and go, and it'd be nice to see. I think it'd be nice to see some new characters. Yeah, to be honest, I mean, not of those characters and captains and yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, for any of us that have been in the hobby a long period of time, it we've grown up with some of these characters. Yeah, and yeah. we've got accustomed to them, and you know, we know them. And that's cool. You know, we have connections to these characters. But it would be nice to see some new blood, I guess. And and for anyone who's, like, new to the hobby as well, it gives them a chance to have what we've got. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, 
a new character been in, injected into the into the setting would be amazing because then it gives them the newer generations that chance to grow up and learn as this character has developed. Yeah, I guess the setting is moving forward as well. You can advance that character and grow them, and they can be involved in these new war zones that we've never seen and touched before. And you don't have to then rely on the the old favorites coming back. Like Vigilus is fantastic, mm. but it's it's Calgar to the rescue again, right? Like yeah, he, he's had his le- legend in his story that could have been somebody new. Um, so no, I'm, I think that's a cracking op- option. That'd be great to see. Um, yeah, I mean, was it last last month's White Dwarf? We had the Dark Dark Krakens, and there's two characters in there. There's a yeah. librarian and there's a captain. We've got the Wolf Spear coming out in the this month. This month's, you know, White Dwarf, and that's got characters in. You know, let's okay, that's awesome. You, they, they, they're already doing it, but I want to see more. You know, mm-hmm. I don't want to see another campaign book and yeah, Calgar to the rescue or. Space. I'm a, a massive Space Wolf love, but Grimnaz the Rescue or Calgar to the Rescue or Dark Angels to the Rescue. It's like, yay, okay. What about these new characters? What about these these other captains from these other cha- cha- chapters that are, in essence, they're pulling off these heroic feats just as well as these old boys, mm. but we're not, they're not getting the screen time, as it were. Yeah. yeah. You know, let's see. Let's see some of these these new ideas. You know, because they're clearly there. So mm. for me, I think it would be that. I think what I would like to see in the future is is just more development on these newer characters. That would be cool. That would be interesting. Um, yeah, I, I think that's for me. That'd be it. Very nice to see. <laughs> I guess it's my turn. Yeah, on to you. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Um, Apothecary, I'm going to turn you down just a little bit because there's a bit of an echo. Echo. Oh, I can hear my voice. Oh. Yeah. Hang on. There you go. There we go. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Um, try it a little bit more. Turn me down a little bit more. There we go. Uh. Yeah. All right. That'll 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 be fine. Yeah. I'm gonna turn you down a little bit myself. Okay. So. Here's what I would do. Um, I want like there to be a end game Avengers level uh, type of team up with all the races against the Tyranids that that come in with the hive mind. So like the bulk of the Tyranid race are coming, are finally arriving, in in you know the the segmentum solar and everywhere in the galaxy. And now all the races have had to band together. And I feel like this is something after kind of putting a heel on Chaos for a bit. Like there's kind of a, a leg up in the fight with Chaos and they're about to achieve victory. And they're at a place where, you know, we might be able to make this work. But then the whole of the Tyranid Swarm finally comes and the hive mind has finally come to claim its feast. And the Necrons, the Imperium, the Tau, the Eldar, even the Orcs finally end up uniting to fight off with the orcs being the main bulk fighting the tyrannists because they're everywhere but but them all the races uniting together to fight off um 
the Tyranids swarm, and it can just it can and it can end either two ways. Either they beat them back, and they end up trying to kill each other and seeing what comes after that, or um, they eventually get beat by the Tyranids and they end up taking them down. But you know, maybe it's just this whole deal where everyone kind of loses, even the Tyranids. This whole big fuck off fight that's bigger than than maybe even the the war in heaven because of how monumentous it is you know and all the races finally meet their end um after facing the tyranids and just little bits of these races still remain in the galaxy after it's all said and done you know kind of kind of it's like a seed like avengers endgame and basically a matt ward thing yeah <laughs> Pretty much. Sorry, I had to get when you say but like that's, all the races. It was like, yeah, that's that's, that's just, way that's way down the line. Like yeah, <laughs> that's super way down the line of a lore thing to happen. But for me, it's like if it's gonna end, I want it to end that way. I want it to end that way. All the races uniting to fight off the Tyranids. Like even the Chaos Gods got to do what they got to do. Like everyone stops and fights off the Tyranids. The, the character that situation I would be most keen to read about is a Baden. Mm. So um, I don't know if you guys have seen the the law master video that Wade did on on Warhammer Plus uh, last this week this week, uh-huh. uh, but it's really not a bad and it, it it's really interesting. He's such a deep character because like he's we we all know the the general stuff, but like he's turned down gifts from the Chaos Gods and refused to become a demon more a demon prince because that would limit what he can do in the real world. And he wants an empire. He wants to finish what horror started and was too weak to see to the end. So if this extra galactic threat turns up that, you know, just wipes out any possibility of him having an empire, how does a Baden deal with that? Because the Chaos Warbands war and the Warp and the Legions of old, they're not strong enough to defeat that on their own. Do they actually then form this kind of uneasy alliance and ceasefire with the Imperium in that instance? I think there would be like a serious understanding of like, straight up, we're still enemies. There is no peace and it's not going to happen. But... The Tyranids are here. It is what it is. We're gonna take care of them now, but uh, as the as this fight comes starts getting coming to a close, like everyone needs to have a gun on each other. Because I mean, I mean, I know we've obviously we had the Horus Heresy, and we've had a lot of incidents since then, which has been the Imperium versus Chaos. Yeah. But I still always, I always kind of felt like, I always kind of felt like. Tyranids were quite possibly more of a threat. A hundred percent. Even even now, even with the Great Rift, you know, I mean, we've mentioned it before already. Like, there's there's only specific channels through that rift. What happens if they close? You know, mm. you're going to have half the galaxy cut off, and the Imperial Nihilus is in complete and utter infestation mode. You know. The Eldar is going to have to do something with the webway. You read like some of the novels and stuff, and it's like they're everywhere. Like I kind of feel like Tyranids are more of a threat, even though with current events. But I still kind of feel that way. Like yeah, yeah. And if that's where Abaddon wants to start his his empire building, mm. that he's going to have to deal with. He he has to burn those Tyranids out before he can build on it. Yep. What's so crazy? So, oh, sorry. Go. Right. Okay. Um. I'm. I'm aware of like time, and we probably will. So. So. I'm gonna make this statement. Do it before we. You know. Just. Just to be one of those guys. I figured out which bit I would like 
or which, like, you know, when you were saying about introductions into the lore and stuff. When Gilliman sent out the the, the, the fleets to the chapters for Primaris, yeah. obviously they sent them with custodians, didn't they? Because yeah. in case anyone turned them down, the custodians would deal with it, right? Yeah. I would introduce stuff like that. I would, I would literally love to see a set of books or a set of novels or even short stories of chapters that went, no. Because when, when, when Primaris were first introduced, I wasn't happy with it. I, I, I won't even like, lie about it. I'm quite happy to admit that. I wasn't too keen on the Primaris when they first came out. Mm. I would love to have seen more of those sort of renegade chapters coming from that sort of event. Yeah. Hatter, I'd love to read the instance of when they reach the Flesh Terrors. Oh, man. <laughs> yes. Golly. <laughs> yes. Yep. The Primaris captain on the bridge. Oh. And then, um... Fuck off with your Primaris yeah, yeah. shit. Like, what? <laughs> and all the custodians is getting that little bit tense. Yeah. Oh, like, uh, what do we do with this lot? <laughs> Jesus, they'll have us Sorry, be red like... ultramarines. I'm like, God damn. Seth just like revving his chain blade now and again. Oh <laughs> just my god! Like, see, there's a, there's a character I cannot wait to see what they do with him. Like, yeah, mm. yeah, it's an amazing. Know, the flesh terrors need to be such a. Flesh terrors were my first space marine chapter, so it'd be oh. nice to it'd be nice to see them get a little bit more. Some lovings. The flesh terrorists yeah. have issues, man. If something happened to, to Seth and he ended up, like, being put through the, the process and becoming a Primaris and woke up. Just knock him, just, like, like, knock him the fuck out some way and just throw him on the table. He'll wake up a Primaris. Oh, knock his ass like, out. Imagine writing that story having him waking up partway through the procedure, though. Knock him out, get the sedative, bonk. <laughs> what are you doing? Um... Three custodians trying to hold him down. Fading. Yeah. <laughs> the Mechanicus immediately um, inserts the sedative. <laughs> Bam, knock him back out. Sleepy time. Jesus, man. Uh... Golly, the... Sorry, I, I just derailed like the whole conversation there. Like uh, questions from like ages back sprung into my head, and I'm like, oh, I know what I do. Um, Legit. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, guys. You're good. That's is a good topic. Oh my god, it's a hell of a topic, right? Like, I feel like I feel like even though this particular episode was longer than the rest, we haven't even come close, man. We oh, haven't okay. even come close. Like, that's why I was like, oh, no, we're not going to go on a fixed point. We're just going to talk about just general, you know, in general, these things, man. Yeah, I don't, I don't think you can do, like, no way. a discussion on the to on that topic. That You know, such a generalized topic and stay on track. Oh, there's no way. That was the point of it, though. Like, it all had to do with the lore and stories and things like that. And we, we got exactly what we wanted out of it, you know, mm -hmm. because there's no way. There's no way. We were never going to cover all of it. That's why it was like a general thing, and I think that was the best we can do. But as far as the lore in Warhammer 40k, we haven't even come close, man. It is so no. insane. I and think the, the kind of 
the kind of final point I'd make and kind of to lead off with is the lore is what makes this game special, right? Yeah. Like, at the end of the day, there are so many options now in war games. Um, you've got things like Star Wars Legion, you've got um, War Machine, Hordes, all the rest of it. None of those games quite get the same depth of love that Warhammer yeah. do. And that's all down to the lore. Like, there have been yeah. versions of the game, editions of the game where people have kind of fallen out of love with the rules and um, different armies have obviously had different kind of strengths and weaknesses over the years in good books and bad books. But the thing that gets us all coming back to that table is that narrative and is that is that thread of law that either our favourite faction has or the one we the ones we write ourselves even within that greater universe. Um, that that lore is what has made the game a success. That lore is keeping GW alive because let's be real, we have when it comes to pricing and and distribution and and consumer things without getting too much into the topic let's be real there are better options and what keeps us coming back to 140k is the lore and the story so be grateful gw that you made such a great amazing story (laughs) it's why we're even here (laughs) oh Oh my god you know but man what a freaking episode this has easily been my favorite episode um i think the next time we cover lore it's gonna be the horus heresy right miniature apothecary yeah yes um and we have someone lined up for that as well yes we do oh my god but as for mp swifty um oh he he is of course i haven't i haven't asked him yet he's coming back though i'm more than happy to you guys it's been fun it's been so great thank you so much for for joining us man like we would have been a lot more lost i know i would have if it wasn't for you a couple times i'm like swifty when i when i point at you you tell me what it means <laughs> you know but the lore is amazing and it's one of the biggest pulls in warhammer 40k like like it, it really goes to show that sometimes a compounding story really makes the world feel more natural because that's how life is life is compounding the story is changing you're building stuff as you go and and with everything that's happening with warhammer 40k with the novels and these books they've really made this place something it feels so real even though it's fiction and you love to see it and you have to love to play with it and people have grown so attached to it like i love the orcs for so many reasons and everyone has something that they love about the lore. And regardless of whether you love the lore or not, everyone agrees that it's this big, amazing thing. There was no way we were going to cover everything, and it's a behemoth of a, of a subject. But Lord knows, you know, us three, we could take it. And there'll be more lore in the future, without a doubt. One tangent at a time. One tangent at a freaking time. But for those who aren't familiar with the lore, we haven't even gotten close. We've barely and i mean barely scratched the surface of this monster of a thing of a story man like my goodness it's amazing and you know i'm glad we had it wouldn't you gentlemen say the same i think we did pretty solid yeah definitely we didn't crash and burn (laughs) that comes after (laughs) that comes after oh my goodness uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me on the Voxhammer podcast. If you guys like what we have here, we have so much more on allergygeek.com. 
There's so many other shows. We have Dice Edge. That, it's a podcast about D&D. They're in the middle of a campaign right now. It's really awesome. We have the Tooncasters. And we have the Shannon cast. We have the Tooncasters. We have Dice Sesh. You know, where check out um, the YouTube channel at youtube.com slash allagesgeek.com for more awesome content. And we will see you guys on the next Vox Hammer podcast. Thank you so much again for Mr. MP Swift for joining us here and being our guide through this world of lore. Because jumping into the lore is like going straight through the warp. It's just so crazy and chaotic and we needed our guide. So thank you, MP Swift, Matthew, um, for joining us today. Thank you for having me, guys. It's been a pleasure. Looking forward it's to next time. Absolutely. And we look forward to having you again on the yeah, show. Right. And with that being said, Mr. Miniature Apothecary, take it away. Knowledge is power. Guard it well. Knowledge is power. Guard it well. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us on the Voxhammer Podcast. We will see you next time. Bye-bye. Guys, say bye. Bye. bye <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. See you next time, fellas.